what about video games? You play any video games? Well, I, let me tell you. I, I ran across this uh, this article in Policy Options that I thought was uh, just fascinating about how political parties are more and more inserting themselves into the games that people play, that young people play, as a way to politically motivate them, to bring them into the tent. And what does that mean for those sites and those online forums, if there's going to be politics involved? And what does it mean for governments, especially those that aren't really thrilled about opposition and opposition parties trying to make a stand? Dakota Tratara is a Ph.D. candidate in the Department of Political Science in the University of Calgary and wrote this piece, and welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me on, Alan. Pleasure to be here. Well, let's talk about what we're seeing in games like Animal Crossing. This is an open-world kind of game, and what are we seeing in terms of political activism within that game? Yeah, so in democratic countries, video games are increasingly being used by political parties to reach voters. So, for example, in the 2021 Canadian federal election, the NDP had a digital outreach strategy that included setting up an Animal Crossing operation on the Nintendo Switch to reach potential voters. So players who visited the NDP's virtual in-game island would encounter campaign talking points such as, our island has real solutions to fix the climate crisis, and every villager should be able to afford a safe home. And we saw a similar thing with the 2020 Biden-Harris campaign in the United States. And how is that being received? I mean, how effective, I guess, is it? Well, I, I don't have data on, you know, if that's actually turning out voters, but it does seem to be a strategy that, um, you know, internal party strategists believe works to reach a younger demographic. There's got to be a concern here, and I have this concern as a parent because my two teens play way, way too much video games. And I'm concerned that politics, if politics is in there, I mean, what else is in there as well? Yeah, so I think that's a, a large concern, and it has been a concern for video games for multiple decades now. Um, you know, we can go back to 1993, 1994, and the U.S. Congress held hearings on the potential for violent video games like Mortal Kombat to influence children's behavior. Um, and I, I can speak a bit more on, on what that led to, but, you know, ultimately those hearings didn't result in any type of legislation that regulates video game content but they did work to pressure the industry to self-regulate. And this is when the industry establishes the Entertainment Software Rating Board, known as the ESRB, which assigns ratings to video games. So it's a bit modeled after the Motion Picture Association of America's film rating system. You know, games go through a review process conducted by the ESRB. And then most retailers, like EB Games, have policies that they only sell video games that have been rated, and they'll check the IDs of young-looking customers that want to purchase a game rated M for Mature. Yeah, except for we're not concerned in this particular instance about, about violence, but about political messaging. And I think that there are, there's a couple of elements here, that, that political messaging is, is moving into democratic countries. But then, as you point out in your article, when we start talking about countries like China, for example, you know, when you have opposition, you know, to, you know, democratic uh, activists for Hong Kong, for example, trying to insert themselves into games, all of a sudden it becomes very problematic. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's one of the differences uh, happening, I think, between democratic countries like the, like Canada and the U.S. versus more authoritarian regimes like what we see in China. 
And, you know, in the Chinese case, I mean, we do see this top down control of video games that includes screening video game content to make sure it aligns with China's cultural values, uh, limiting the number of hours children can play video games and requiring users to verify their real identity to play games. And those are all things that, in my view, work to control the virtual realm and suppress any political dissent that may occur there. I guess I'm trying to, to to get a sense of, you know, the dangers both for in terms of free expression within this online world and also the kind of Wild West that exists out there as we begin to move away from titles and consoles to everything being online and, and that the gaming itself becomes its own ecosystem. Yes, I, I, I do believe there will be a move away from kind of the static gaming that happens on consoles. I mean, you know, we already experience that now with a lot of online gaming, but I believe the industry is moving towards what's commonly referred to as the metaverse, uh, which is essentially a 3D virtual environment that tech elites envision all of us will be interacting in in the future. And I say that because, you know, Tim Sweeney, he's the CEO of Epic Games, the studio behind Fortnite. He said recently that the long-term evolution of Fortnite uh, is to open it up to, as more of a platform for creators to distribute their work to users. Um, and, you know, he, he makes the claim, too, that creators will make the majority of the profits based off of that. Um, but we already see some of that happening. Uh, for example, in the Fortnite space, Travis Scott performed a concert within the game last year. Mm -hmm. um, so that evolution of gaming is going to happen, and it, it will bring with it a host of complex policy issues that will likely require a whole-of-society solution. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's... I don't have a tremendous amount of faith of that being forthcoming, that there will actually be some <laughs> real-world oversight, especially when you talk about political messaging within within that ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to kind of hit on that idea of free expression that you brought up earlier, um, you know, the, the United States Supreme Court has actually had a landmark case on video games and free expression. It's known as Brown versus Entertainment Merchants Association. And case was uh, decided in 2011, I believe. But there, the Supreme Court ruled that video games are protected speech under the First Amendment, just like other forms of media, such as books, plays, and movies. And the reason behind that is that video games communicate ideas and even so social messages through several you know, literary devices, like characters, dialogue, plot, and music, and that deserves First Amendment protection. Well, it's fascinating stuff, and it's going to be a big issue going forward. Uh, Dakota, great to talk with you. appreciate you coming on today. Thanks for having me, Alan. Have a wonderful holiday. Thanks again. That is Dakota Tartara, who is a Ph.D. candidate in the Department of Political Science at the University of Calgary. And at Policy Options right now, you can read his story about how online gaming is a growing tool for political mobilization.